I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holmes. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. We have an informative program planned for you today. Tomorrow, April 16th, is National Healthcare Decisions Day. It's a time to highlight the importance of advanced care planning with living wills, selecting a healthcare power of attorney, and sharing your decisions with your family and loved ones. This is a topic Dr. Holm was very passionate about and often wrote about and talked about on his programs. So today, in addition to talking about advanced care planning, we're happy to talk about the medical questions you may have as well. And to answer those questions, we have with us today Dr. Deb Johnston. Dr. Johnston's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Johnston. Good morning, Laura. It's good to be here with everybody. Thank you. We have two additional guests from Brookings Health System on the line with us today as well. Case Management Director Lynn Thompson and Home Health Hospice Social Worker Donna Booman. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Good morning. Thank you. Um, Lynn, could you tell us a little bit more about your role as a case management director at Brookings Health System? Um, The case management department works generally with inpatients at the hospital, and um, our goal is to ensure that every patient can be discharged in a safe manner and at the right time. So we start working with the patients when they're admitted to the hospital, um, we talk to them about what their goals are for discharge, and um, we talk to them about any struggles that they may be having at home or wherever they're living, and then we just work with them and with the whole clinical team on a plan um, to arrange a safe discharge. Very good. Excellent. And Donna, could you tell us a little bit more about your role with Brookings Health System? Sure. I am the social worker working with exclusively with hospice patients and their families. Um, you know, a lot of times once you get that diagnosis, uh, there's a lot of adjustment that needs to happen. So I mostly get to facilitate conversations with people and try to ease some of the emotional burden that they might have at end of life. Very good. Well, thank you um, to all of you. I know we're going to learn a lot from each of you um, regarding advanced care planning and other items as well. And I wanted to, um, as we prepare to take our first break, give everyone an opportunity to call in with your questions. As you can see, we have a great panel of um, professionals joining us today. So you can give us a call regarding living wills, advanced care directives, and any other medical questions you may have for our guests today. So give us a call at 605-692-1430, and we will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. The American Academy of Pediatrics has issued media guidelines for preschoolers that are helpful for parents and grandparents. 
Under the age of two, media should be very limited and only used when adults are standing by to co-view, talk, and teach. For example, video chatting with family along with their parents. For children 18 to 24 months, if you want to introduce digital media, choose high quality programming and use media together with your child. For children aged two to five, limit screen time to no more than one hour per day. Find other activities for your children to do that are healthy for their bodies and mind. Choose media that is interactive, nonviolent, educational, and pro-social. If you have questions about social media for children, speak with your primary care provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and with us today is Prairie Doc Physician Deb Johnston and Brookings Health System Case Management Director Lynn Thompson and Hospice Social Worker Donna Booman. Call 605-692-1430 with your questions. As we were discussing before the break, tomorrow, April 16th, is National Health Care Decisions Day. Lynn, could you tell us a little more about this day and why you think it is important for us to spend some time uh, reflecting on it? Well, I have always had an interest in advanced directives, and um, I think my interest stemmed from my relationship with Dr. Holm and um, working with him through all the years um, with patients who are nearing the end of life. Um, so this is, this is really an important day just to kind of bring everybody's attention to advanced directives and what they are and to um, help people start to make um, preparations for what may happen at the end of life. Do you find that um, most of the patients you're working with in the hospital have an advanced care directive, or do most not have one in place? What do you, what's normal? Um, I'm curious. Gosh, I think the younger people are, the less likely it is that there is an advanced directive. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, as people get older, we find them more often. Um, sometimes it also kind of depends on the involvement of the family. Um, the sometimes adult children, and even as adult children are getting older, um, they can be influential toward their parents in um, in getting those plans in place. Mm -hmm. And maybe I should even just take a quick step back. And Lynn, could you tell us what is an advanced care directive? Okay. Well, there's really two parts to it. Um, part of an advanced directive. Um, addresses what a person might want done if that person is in a life-or-death situation. Um, there, you can, if you're nearing the end of life, you can opt for or opt against getting artificial nutrition um, or, you know, artificial feeding, that is, or artificial hydration, meaning getting fluids um, via a tube into your nose or via a, um, an IV, or also um, it addresses um, artificial respirations, um, having a tube put down your throat to breathe for you, um, and then also if you want CPR done, um, say your heart stops suddenly, if you want people to perform CPR to try to get your heart going again. 
so those are the aspects of of a living will portion um, and decisions that a person can make can make whether or not you want those things done at the end of life. Um, another part of an advanced directive is naming a person who you would want to make decisions for you when you're at a point in your life when you can no longer make your own decisions. So if you um, have a stroke or you're in an accident or in some way you're incapacitated and can no longer make your own decisions, name the person who you would want to make those decisions for you. Um, The most crucial part of the whole document is to communicate with your family what you want done. You can put everything in writing, you can sign it, you can get witnesses, but your family, and especially the person who you name as your um, power of attorney, those people have to know what your wishes are so that when the time comes, they already know what you want. One of the um, things that I... This no, is go Dr. ahead. Johnson. And one of the things that I always like to, to point out to people when I'm having this conversation is that, you know, the person that you name may not be your closest family member. Uh, typically, we think of a spouse as as your your decision maker, or maybe a an adult child. But sometimes that person is going to be too overwhelmed with their own distress over the situation that they can't make the decisions that you would like made. So it's really important when you're thinking about who to name that you consider who can make the decisions that you would want made and put aside their own wishes for you. Um, so I, it's not necessarily the person who is your your technical next of kin. And I think that's a really important thing for people to remember, that there's no, um, there's no requirement about who that decision maker is or what their relationship is to you. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And if you if you communicate with people and and have have all this stuff decided already, when that point comes and there is somebody else making your decisions, it really takes the pressure off that person because that person is doing Very what much. you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much. And I find that with great regularity um, when we're looking at the end of life and and family members are struggling with um, with the decision not to do tube feeding or not to not to do some invasive procedure with the the hopes of buying a little more time. That family members find it extremely comforting to be able to look at that document and say, "No, you know, this is not what mom wanted, or this is not what dad wanted. He didn't he didn't want us to." to put him on a breathing machine or do antibiotics or, or do any of these things. So it, it really is a great comfort to family members. The other thing that I would like to point out is that even though we think about advanced directives very much as something for older people, you know, any of us, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are or what your underlying state of health is, it can happen to any of us at any time. You know, we can be in a car accident. Um, we can we can have some kind of an injury. We can have some kind of a sudden illness, and I think that that's particularly true right now when we look at 
at COVID-19. And even though we know that people who are older and have comorbidities, um, other health problems are at higher risk for um, ending up very sick and dying from COVID, we also know that even young people, uh, even people in their 30s, uh, who are otherwise healthy or athletes have, have succumbed and died with this disease. So it is something that is particularly important now. It's always important for all of us, um, but right now it's, it's particularly important for everybody to be thinking about that. Excellent, yes. Um, Donna, could you share with us a little bit about the importance of advanced directives as you work with hospice patients and their families? Absolutely. Um, you know, probably one of the most difficult parts of my job is to have that conversation with people, um, you know, asking them what their plans are for when the actual end comes. And that conversation goes so much easier when people have already talked to their loved ones about what they want done. Um, they're just a lot more relaxed about it and... Um, I can just see what a benefit it is to have already had those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and I can speak to that. Yes. I, I was going to say I can speak to that personally. Um, we, I'm actually currently calling in from Iowa, where I've been staying with my family. My mother's cancer has spread to her brain, and we made that decision to to start her on hospice last week. Um, and it, it is definitely far easier for the family when you've had those conversations ahead of time. My siblings, my father and I, we're all on the same page because we know what my mother wanted when she was able to, to communicate her wishes to us and um, explain to us what she found was a good quality of life and what's not a good quality of life and what, what she wants for her last days. So um, it, is, it is very much something that's critical for everybody to talk with so, so that the people who love you, who are going to be taking care of you and watching you at the end of life are all on that same, um, all on the same page. That's an excellent point. So we do our advanced care directives not only for ourselves, but maybe even more so for our family and loved ones to help them in that in that time as well. Well, we're going to talk some more about this um, after our next break. And if you uh, listeners have a question, please give us a call at 605-692-1430. By living a healthy lifestyle, you can lower your risk for heart disease and heart attack. A healthy lifestyle includes the following. Eating a healthy diet, maintaining a healthy weight, getting enough physical activity, not smoking or using other forms of tobacco, and limiting alcohol use. All the providers at the Avera Medical Group Brookings hope you will follow these guidelines. For more information on a healthy heart, speak with your provider at 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and with us today is Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston, and Brookings Health System Case Management Director Lynn Thompson and Hospice Social Worker Donna Booman. Um, we are talking about the importance of advanced care directives 
what they are and how it's important to um, communicate your wishes to your family um, in light of the fact that tomorrow, April 16th, is National Health Care Decision Day. I wanted to, um, so if we haven't done advanced care directives or we're starting to think about it, what are some great resources that we can tap into? I wanted to um, touch on Dr. Holmes' book, Life's Final Season. Um, I feel like he offers great insight on this topic um, in a way that's just helpful. Um, is this a resource you recommend to your patients? Um, have you found this book helpful to you as you care for your patients or maybe make decisions for your own families? I actually pulled this book out in preparation for this radio show, um, and I specifically reread Chapter 8, um, which just is a has a wealth of information about advanced directives and um and it's and it's all practical information real life information mm-hmm. I appreciate how he offers different stories of real stories of real people he's worked with and how planning and preparing has affected um how people are able to live and and end their lives and um and do that so that is a great resource if you just need some uh, if it's it's hard for you to even think about these things, I think Dr. Holm makes it um, a way that you can approach it more more easily. Are there other resources you recommend or websites? If you're working with a family and they don't have an advanced directive, what where do you encourage them to start? Uh, I've and found I, a few different – sorry. No, that's okay. I was actually going to turf that question to you. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Uh, in preparing for this conversation today, um, I went to a few different sites, and um, there are some that are actually pretty easy to use. Um, AARP actually has links that will take you right to the South Dakota um, Advanced Directive um, page, I guess, and you can print your own Advanced Directive, and it gives you step-by-step instructions in how to complete the document. Um, I really liked that one. And then the whole thing behind Decision Day um, is called theconversationproject.org. They have, um, they call it a conversation guide. And again, this is something you can print and it, it prompts you with, like we talked about earlier, who do we decide? Maybe not our spouse would be the best person to be our decision maker at the end. So it's got some questions that it asks you and helps you decide who would be that person. And again, it step-by-step tells you what you can do uh, to make these decisions. Excellent. So some great resources out there. And, um, you know, a lot of us have maybe a little extra time at home right now. So it's a good time to get started on your advanced directive or review it if you haven't looked at it for a while and, um, and maybe make a phone call and share your plans with your family or let them know you've updated your, your things or, um, so they have that. Um, I was curious, I'm going to shift a little bit towards um, grief. Um, in your work, what have you noticed about how advanced directives affect grief? Um, Donna, would you like to comment on that? Sure. You know, one of the challenges of grief is the what-if game that we play later with ourselves. 
And having an advanced directive in place really helps ease some of those what-if questions and the guilt that we can put on ourselves. That is completely unjustified, but yet we do it to ourselves. So if there's that advanced directive in place, we can know that whatever was done was done the way our loved one wanted it to happen. And with grief, that really helps us give, get some peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, do, we, yes, I was going to say, I, I do want to kind of build on something that, that you just said about um, about uh, updating your your advanced directives. And I think that that's a really important thing to point out is that if you make an advanced directive when you're 30 years old, you're not stuck with what you decide at 30 when you're 70. So these are should be looked at as living documents that change as your needs change. Um, you know, what what you think about your quality of life when you're 30 is probably going to be very different from what you think about your quality of life when you're 80. What you can realistically expect uh, for your future when you're 30 is very different from when you're 80. So these should be living documents, and they should be revisited periodically, and you're not uh, trapped with whatever decision you make. Um, You can change that as your circumstances change. Very good. Um, Lynn and Donna and Dr. Johnson, as you are working with families during this time, um, when loved ones are not able to be in the hospital or in the nursing home with their loved ones, what are some ways that um, you found most helpful for families to still support and connect with their loved ones? Lynn, would you like to comment on that first um, in the inpatient hospital setting? What is the most effective for connecting with loved ones when you can't physically be in the room with them? Well, we are actually setting up Zoom meetings here um, for patients and families to to be together. And um, the, you know, one thing that's so nice about Zoom is you can include as many people as you want to in a meeting. So, so we have the equipment here at the hospital for the patient to use. Um, our staff knows how to do it. So um, it's, it's something that can be so easily arranged with family members, and, um, and we have had people utilizing that. It's been wonderful because it is okay. tough up here right now without visitors. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's too quiet, and, the, you know, the patients are truly kind of isolated in their rooms because... There just aren't visitors here, so. Right. Yeah, it's very it's a very unique time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And what about um, even working with, I had a family member um, from a different state um, had to go into the hospital. It was hard because he's older and he was on his own. Um, communicating with the family and others um, when they can't be in the room maybe to hear the um doctor's recommendations or things like that. How, is, how have you guys been working with that, Lynn? Well, the, um, the physician is, t- is talking to the families via the phone also. Um, sure. I'm not, I'm not sure if we've, ac- if we've actually had a, like a Zoom meeting between physician and family, um, although that would be a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, there are definitely more phone calls happening yeah, yes. And how about you? for you, Donna? Um, 
as you've been working with the hospice patients and we're all practicing social distancing, what have you found to be most helpful to both the patient and the family as they go through that process? Sure. Uh, what I am most appreciative of is how administrators have worked to accommodate families at end of life. You know, we have the no visitor policy, but when it comes to end of life, most facilities are able to make exceptions and allow at least one person at a time to be with their dying loved one. And that has really helped families to at least know that someone is there with them. Mm-hmm. Very good. Excellent. Well, it's time for us to take our final break, and uh, we will be back with you shortly after this message from Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Millions of people in the United States are not getting screened for colorectal cancer as recommended. They are missing the chance to prevent colorectal cancer or to find it early when treatment often leads to a cure. The vast majority of new cases of colorectal cancer, about 90%, occur in people who are 50 or older. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommends screening beginning at age 50. If you think you may be at increased risk for colorectal cancer, learn your family history and ask your doctor if you should begin screening before age 50. Talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and with us today is Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston and Brookings Health System Case Management Director Lynn Thompson, and hospice social worker Donna Buman. And we've been talking um, about advanced, the importance of advanced directives and some of the unusual circumstances we're facing now as we try to connect with loved ones during this time of COVID-19. We had a caller um, call in asking, if a person has a no resuscitate and falls down and is injured, is it still okay to call 911 for help? So if a person has um, designated Absolutely. no no resuscitate is it and falls down and is injured, is it still okay to call 911 for help? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, most of the time I look at the, the DNR orders or the advanced directive orders as something that is most important as you approach the end of life. And... You know, a lot of people will say, you know what, I don't, I don't want, um, it, I don't want to be on a ventilator. I don't want all of all of these real invasive things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't want uh, to be treated if you have a pneumonia, or you don't want to be treated for your broken hip, or or those kinds of things. And those are definitely things that are worth thinking about, particularly as. Uh, your capacity overall declines, um, but it's important to recognize that uh, having an advanced directive that says you don't want resuscitation doesn't mean that we don't think it's important to do things for comfort. So if somebody is injured, if they have a broken bone, if they have a laceration, if they have some kind of injury, we absolutely want to treat that person and uh, help them to to be as comfortable as possible, even if our goal isn't to prolong their life. Mm-hmm. Very good. Excellent. 
Um, we did have a couple of other questions come in specifically regarding COVID that I'd like to get to real quick. One um, caller is asking, what percentage of Brookings residents could be hospitalized? Do, do, does anyone on the line have a, a number for that? What percentage of Brookings residents could be hospitalized or what we're possibly planning for? And I know Lynn has been very involved with the um, with the, the surge planning at the hospital. So I'm I'm going to ask Lynn for you to to speak to that because I think you're um, certainly far more uh, in the loop with what the hospital is planning and anticipating than I. Yeah, we definitely are planning hard, <laughs> and we uh, we are planning for a surge that may come, and um, we have a plan to increase our patient capacity, um, certainly by by about two to three times, actually, what our current capacity is. So um, the plan is there, and the, the um, physicians are involved in it, um, the hospital staff is involved, and then um, we're also um, working hard on educating our staff on what could possibly happen in the next couple months. Mm-hmm. Very good. And one more quick question, if anyone has a quick answer. Uh, what's the best place to get masks? Can you get them anywhere in town, or do we need to order them? Does anyone have any information on that? Actually, what I would recommend at, at this point, I think you're going to have a hard time finding a, a pre-made mask, and frankly, most of the pre-made masks available are uh, going to be medical grade, and, and we just don't have enough of those as a, as a country. Um, however, this is a great opportunity for some of those homemade fabric masks. Uh, you know, most of the time when you are wearing a mask in public, what you are doing is protecting the people around you in case you are one of those asymptomatic carriers. Uh, and the, the fabric masks that you can make at home or that people are are making and selling are are very good for that purpose. So there's a lot of instructions on the internet. The CDC, even CDC or um, the Surgeon General actually has a little video about using uh, two um, rubber bands and a bandana to make a homemade mask, uh, which is kind of of fun. And a lot of people that are sewers uh, are making masks. And you want to use a good tight weave fabric. Quilting fabric is great uh, for that purpose. There's a lot of um, online resources for that. A lot of health systems that even have uh, patterns out there that you can use. So uh, that is what so I would do. So if you can't, for masks. very good. So if you can't find one, try some of those homemade options. That's a great point. Well, our thanks to Dr. Deb Johnson, Lynn Thompson and Donna Booman for joining us today. We really appreciate all that you do in our community. Um, And as many of us have some extra time at home, an excellent opportunity for us to either start or review our advanced care planning and communicate our wishes. So thank you for encouraging us to do so today. Um, I also just want to remind our listeners that uh, we will have a television show um, that Dr. Holm recorded um, tomorrow night available um, on South Dakota Public TV at 7 p.m. with his guest, Dr. Vance Thompson. Uh, so you can tune in for that as well. Uh, please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire 
Prairie Dock Library, visit www.prairiedock.org. Thank you so much for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there. Stay healthy out there.